and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed. Of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 14. Joshua said, not one thing, not one word that God promised you has failed. What a statement. You know, often when we discuss the book of Joshua, there's some phrases that kind of bookend the book of Joshua that, that we think of as, wow, I remember Joshua, and like this statement is just kind of the capstone statement. A couple of those would be in chapter 1 and chapter 24. Let's take a look at those, shall we? Joshua chapter 1, would you open there, please? One of the very familiar, oft-quoted, oft-preached-on parts of the book of Joshua is in chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1. We would begin just to set a little history before we get to that series of verses. We begin at verse 1 of Joshua 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, God tells Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Joshua, the book of Joshua is recognized for these following verses. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give you. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Very familiar text from Joshua. The other text that is most recognizable from Joshua would probably be the one in the back end of the book, Joshua 24 and verse 15. Please turn there. These are two pillars that surround the book of Joshua. Joshua 24 and verse 15. After all that history, Joshua says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Both before 
as well as in between these two bookends, as it were, these two bookended statements in Joshua 1, 6 through 9 and 24, 15. In between those two, there's a whole lot of incredible, incredible history. And perhaps the greatest statement that Joshua is not known for, and that's the one I read at the beginning. Joshua 23 and verse 14, and you know in all your hearts, in all your souls, that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. It's not as if not one promise had failed. He said not one word of them has failed. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of history that went into that statement. I want us to consider tonight some of that history. I want us to consider tonight a few of the seemingly almost impossible events and miracles and the, the incredible promises of God that Joshua experienced during his long and his, his very fruitful lifetime, which led him to make this very statement. You know, today when, when somebody passes away who's very old, we would say, wow, they saw a lot of things in their lifetime. You know, if you go back and you think of somebody that lives to be 100, you think, wow, the things they lived through and, you know, the Second World War and all this stuff, and they saw the development of all this technology, and you think, wow, what I want us to see tonight is that before Joshua made that statement, there was a lot of stuff that Joshua went through. There was a lot of stuff that Joshua experienced in his own life that led him to make that statement, not one word. God's promise has failed. Not one. Not one. That wasn't some arbitrary statement that he dug out of thin air. That was knowing God in a lifetime of experience. I want us to consider Joshua's life. Joshua was born into Egyptian slavery. His ancestors had been slaves in that land for approximately 400 years, approximately, give or take. About the same time that the Baptist church denomination has been in existence, the Baptist church came into existence in 1607. So 2007, roughly 400 years, I realize it's not 2007. About the same amount of time as since the pilgrims landed. Has a lot happened in this country since the pilgrims landed in 1620, Plymouth Rock? Oh yeah, this country's changed a lot since then, hasn't it? About 400 years. Joshua's people, had been slaves in the land of Egypt for around 400 years. That's a long time for family to be slaves. That is a long time for hope to fade. Think about it. That is a long time for hope to fade about God hearing the prayers for deliverance of his people. We pray sometimes for several weeks or months or maybe even a year, but these people cried out to the Lord and they'd been slaves for 400 years, certainly a person could lose hope. As, as a young Hebrew boy, think about Joshua. He must have been aware of Moses' arrival, both Moses and Aaron's arrival on the scene. Certainly Joshua would have, if not a, an eyewitness to most of the plagues, certainly he would have heard about the ones that he did not personally see or experience. He became very familiar with this idea that he would later turn into the phraseology of chapter 23 and verse 14 when he says, not one, not one. Joshua knew from his life experience with God 
what that phrase really meant to say not one. For example, turn to me to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. As a younger boy, younger man, let's face it, there was no keeping the fact that the waters of Egypt turned to blood. You couldn't keep Egypt's water turning to actual blood a secret because it wasn't just the Nile, it turned to blood. It was all their water. Look in Exodus chapter 7 beginning at verse 19. Look what it says. <clears throat> Exodus 7 verse 19 and following, then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, their rivers, their ponds, over all their pools of water that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. You couldn't keep this a secret, could you? It was everywhere. Joshua knew this. He had to have. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rock and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. Waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the, blood, the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. There was no body of water that was left uncontaminated. No, not one. No, not one. We see the same universal advancement of frogs and gnats or lice in the second and third plagues as we would read through Exodus chapter 8 verses 1 through 19. Joshua had to have witnessed that. How could he not have? The fourth plague, the plague of flies in Exodus chapter 8, verses 20 through 32. Let's take a look at verses 20 through 24. Exodus chapter 8, verses 20 through 24. Look at this. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. And say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Joshua had to have known this, but he also knew the no-not-oneness of God's promise in verse 31. Look what it says. So uh, verse 31, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses, he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people, not one remained. When God does something, he does it all the way. When God took the flies out, no, not one remained. Joshua was very familiar with the no, not oneness of God's promise we would see that he experienced this same no-not-oneness of God's powerful promise. As we move on into the fifth plague of pestilence, look in Exodus 9, look at verses 1 through 7 with me. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the hand of the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one. Brethren, God keeps his promise to the nth degree. No, not one of their livestock was dead. It's an incredible statement. We see it throughout the whole history that Joshua had to have experienced just before they let go from Egypt. The sixth and seventh plagues of boils and hail in chapter 9, verses 8 through 35. And, and it, was a, it was a hail that burned like fire. Look with me in Exodus 9, beginning at verse 23. Look here what it says. It says, in Moses, Exodus 9, 23, stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. The hail struck every herb of the field, and it broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. Certainly, you couldn't have kept that a secret. And notice in verse 26 that in the land of Goshen, there was no, not one, hailstone that fell. None. Such is the completeness. Brethren, tonight, got to understand such is the completeness of God's power and God's promise. Joshua understood the phrase, no, not one. The eighth and tenth plagues of locusts and the death of the firstborn also validated to Joshua and to the Israelites the power and the promise of God's no, not oneness. Look with me in chapter 10. Look at verses 3 through 6. Exodus 10, verses 3 through 6. So Moses and Aaron came into the Pharaoh, came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they'll cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. They'll eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day they were on the earth to this day. Look in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts. They may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that 
the hail is left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt. They rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth. So the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land, all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. The Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust. All those bazillions of locusts. But when God cleans them out, there is no, not one in all the land of Egypt left. Such is the power and the promise of God's no, not oneness. And it is the same thing we see with the death of the firstborn. Turn to me to Exodus 12. Look at verses 29 and 30. And it came to pass at midnight, the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. No, not one. No, not one. But... This no-not-oneness power of God's promise is not only seen in the ten plagues. It's not only seen and experienced by Joshua and the Israelites during the period of the ten plagues, but throughout their entire miraculous history with the Lord of glory. For example, Joshua was there that day. Figure out his age, he had to be. Joshua was there that day, certainly, when the Israelites, I mean crossed the Red Sea. He was there and he saw those walls of water on each side. He saw and himself not only saw God's people, but he himself passed through the water as on dry land, Exodus 14, 21. And look what it says in Exodus 14, verses 26 through 29. Exodus 14, 26 through 29, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. No, not one. In fact, as is confirmed in Psalm 106, verse 11, it says the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Such is the power of the promise of God's no, not oneness. If you'd open with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, surely Deuteronomy, chapter 1, Joshua was there that day as Moses recounted Israelite history and he retold it in Deuteronomy chapter 1, 
verses 19 and following, how the spies had been sent over into the promised land. We know the story of the spies. We know about Joshua and Caleb. Look what it says in verses 34 through 38 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses says, And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of the men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh. He'll see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. Moses says, The Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, Even you shall not go in there. Joshua the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Did you hear it? Did you hear it in the beginning? Verse 34, 35, 35. Not one of these evil men, God said. Not one of those who refused to accept the promise would go in. Only Joshua and Caleb. That had to have made an impression on Joshua. If God said, nobody else, nobody else of that previous generation is going in except you, you, Jason, you, Kurt, you, somebody, that's it. Would that make an impression on these two guys? Sure would. Joshua knew and understood the power when he uses the phrase, not one. Because not one of those of that previous generation did go in. We know that. When God says not one, God means not one. He also had to have been there as Moses explained how God said he would give the victory over all their enemies in Deuteronomy 2. What is the conclusion in verse 36 of Deuteronomy 2? From a roar, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Such is the certainty and the power of God's no, not one promise. It was Joshua who would then obviously lead God's people. He would lead them over the Jordan much as Moses had led them across the Red Sea to conquer according to the promise of God. Smith's Bible Dictionary says this, Joshua had crossed the Jordan during flood stage, I might add, chapter 3, verse 15, chapter 4, verse 18. He had then fortified a camp at Gilgal, circumcised the people, kept the Passover, and was visited by the captain of the Lord's host. A miracle made the fall of Jericho more terrible to the Canaanites, and in the great battle of Beth Haran, the Amorites were singly routed and the south country was open to the Israelites. Joshua returned to the camp at Gilgal, master of half of Palestine. Listen, you gotta understand that when Joshua says, not one word of God's promises failed, you got to know what's behind that. Joshua knew what he was talking about. He'd lived a lifetime experiencing when God says, I will keep my promise. Joshua could stand up and say, not one word of what God said ever failed. That's not just a statement, that's a lifetime of experience knowing God. He defeated the Canaanites under Jabin, king of Hazor. In six years, six tribes with 31 petty chiefs were conquered, it says in Smith's Bible Dictionary. And brethren, it is with that understanding, after living and experiencing a 110-year 
lifetime, according to Joshua 24, 29, the power, the promises, and the divine fulfillment of them from God on a level that we can't, I can't imagine what it'd be to walk through that water. Can you? To walk through on dry land with a whole sea standing up on each side of you. I always wondered, did they see the fish? <laughs> Sorry, I just wonder. And all he experienced and the battles he won because God said, I'm going to be with you. Be strong and courageous. I'm going to stand with you every step of the way. Just do what I've told you to. I'm going to take you through. And all of these promises that God had made, all these incredible promises, all these, these incredible plagues and everything he had seen. And he could stand up as an old man and look those people square in the eye and say, not you know. You know that in your hearts and in your souls, not one word of God's promise has ever failed. It is in that context that he delivers his no-nonsense, no-not-oneness address in chapters 23 and 4, designed to keep God's people fighting the good fight and encouraging them to remain faithful to the never-failing word of God no matter what might come their way. Look with me at the end of Joshua chapter 23. Now, having done all of that background work, look at the context of that statement. In Joshua 23, 1 through 10, it says, It came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, their heads, their judges, and their officers, and he said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. The Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Listen, when God makes a promise, not one word fails. Not one. Therefore, be courageous, very courageous, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the Law of Moses, lest you turn aside to the right hand or the left, lest you go among these nations, those who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You will not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you will hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. Watch this. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. Does that sound familiar? Does that ring a bell? What God tell him at the very beginning? No one will be able to stand against you. It's an old man at the end of his life. He said, you got the proof. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. I love that word promised in here so many times. So many times. Look at verse 14 as he wraps up. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Not one. Do you know, this idea of the power of God's no-not-oneness was not just experienced in Joshua's day by the Israelites. 
The certainty of this promise was not only preached by Joshua, it was none other than Solomon himself, who a few centuries later once again would utter those same words during the dedication of the temple, brethren, because no matter, no matter how much time and troubles come and go, God's promises never wear out, grow old, or fail to come to pass, no matter how much time passes. No, not one word of them ever does. If you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8, we would just note there briefly, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 14 through 21, King Solomon blesses the assembly, including verse 20, where he says, God has fulfilled his word, or kept his promise. In 1 Kings 8, verses 22 through 53, we have his prayer of dedication of the temple, including verse 24, which says, you have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. In his prayer of dedication, Solomon includes that, talking about God's promise. And then, after the conclusion of his prayer, he rises to bless the congregation a second time, and look what he says in 1 Kings 8, 54 through 56. And so it was. When Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord, that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. He stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, watch this. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. God promises his people it's going to happen. Brethren, there is no power in this entire universe. There is no power in this entire universe that has ever or can ever prevent one single word whatsoever of God's promises from absolutely and completely coming to pass. No, not one. Why is that so important to us? Should be pretty obvious. Think about it. There is no power in the universe that has ever or can ever prevent even one single word whatsoever of God's promises from absolutely and completely coming to pass. No, not one. Why is that so important to us? As the Apostle John said, you ready for this? Here it comes. And this is the promise that he has promised to us eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? And this is the promise that he has promised to us, eternal life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. 
The Apostle Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 1, 1 and 2. He wrote, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. It should excite us to no end. And when God makes a promise, not one word of God's promise has ever failed his people. It's never failed to come to pass. There's nothing that can take away one word of the promises God has made us. And he's made us the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. If that doesn't excite you, check your pulse. The Apostle Paul would pen that he was completely convicted confident when he said, I am persuaded, I'm persuaded, I know that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Is that a promise? Yes. Not one word of that promise will fail because God made that For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. There are, however, a couple of parts to partaking of that precious promise that we must also pursue and do. We must, if we want that promise the same as the, the Israelites needed to do, we need to pursue and practice personal holiness. It says... In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, therefore, having these promises, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. A second part that we must involve ourselves in is that we must persevere and not become lazy or sluggish, Hebrews 6, 10 through 15. And a third one, a third essential element in partaking of the divine power of these exceedingly great and precious promises of God is that we must continue growing in our Bible knowledge. First Peter chapter 1 verses 2, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 11. I'm so grateful tonight. So grateful. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens in your life, not one word, no, not one word of God's promise has ever failed to come to pass for his people. And sometimes they had to wait a little while, but not one word has ever failed. And when God promises us eternal life in Christ Jesus, brethren, we can take that to the grave. It will not fail. God cannot lie. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful hope. What a beautiful God we have. I want you to turn to me to a very familiar passage. Probably most of us can quote it, but I want to point out a word that we don't often emphasize. And we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 38. Like I said, even if you can quote it, please turn there. Partaking of these promises are conditional because just as the good things don't fail, not one word of God's promise fails, 
We know what is promised to those who are not obedient too, don't we? We know about the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. We know about how those who are not obedient and submissive to God have a future waiting for them. If they prove on this earth that they don't want to be with God, and God's going to give them what they want, and not one word of that promise is going to fail either. Our partaking of these promises all begins with our decision to repent, to become obedient to God, and to get into Christ through our faith and our repentance and our baptism for the forgiveness of sins. The same beloved Apostle John who wrote what I said earlier, and this is the promise he has promised us, eternal life in 1 John 2.25. A little later in his same epistle, he wrote this. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So, the promise he's promised us is eternal life, but it's only found in Christ. Well, how do we get into Christ? Well, we know we're baptized into Christ. But I want you to notice as we're baptized into Christ, this word in Acts chapter 2, follow along in verses 38 through 41 where it says, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the, here's the word, promise. We, we often don't emphasize this word when we talk about Acts 2. For the promise. This is a promise from God. This is a promise from the God who cannot lie, from the God who, from the very beginning, no matter what kings and other people did, not one word of his promise ever failed. Pharaoh could not thwart him. Nobody could. This is a promise. For the promise is for you, for all your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be safe from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. God promised eternal life if we would repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins if we'd follow him. And I'm telling you right now, not one word of that promise is going to fail. Because that's not the kind of promises God makes. When he says it, he does it. And I am so grateful tonight. What about you? Are you in Christ? Which is the only place where God's unfailing promise of eternal life is found. Are you in Christ? I'll tell you what, this is going to be a different invitation than you typically get, okay? If you're in Christ and you've already been baptized, which most of you have, then you need to go out that door rejoicing tonight knowing that not one word of his promise to you is going to fail about your eternal life. You need to go out that door rejoicing tonight. But if you've never done that, if you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, oh, what you're missing out on. Because God's promise the other way is not going to fail either. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you don't have a prayer. You don't have a prayer of obtaining eternal life. No, not one. If you have a need tonight, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing?